text for the sermon this afternoon is the word of God as we confess to its truth in Lord's Day 16. You can find that on page 530 of your books of praise. So Lord's Day 16, question and answer 40. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him, as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Thus far, our confession. <clears throat> Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, death, the grave, and hell. That is what Lord's Day 16 is concerned with, and that is what we will be concerned with this afternoon as we consider our confession. Now, interestingly, as you look around in the world, you will see that the world is also interested in death, in the grave, and in hell. We see it in the books, we see it in the movies. You have vampires, you have demons, you have the walking dead. There is a sort of morbid fascination with the realm of death and hell. Now for the world, death and hell are something that they irreverently mock. They don't really understand death, and so they mock it. But we must say that we do understand what death is. Death is something that clouds life. It's something that's clouded life since the fall. It is something that, unless the Lord Jesus returns first, it is something that will happen to each and every one of us in this room. Each of us will die. And what is incredible is as we consider death and dying, 
But what is incredible is that that is something that happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God incarnate. And that's what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. That's what we're going to look at this afternoon. It is incredible that He, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died. Life left His body. He became a corpse. He went the way of all men. His body went into the grave. But as we look at the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, and as we put it into perspective, as we look at what he came to do for us, how he suffered for us, how he suffered God's anger for us, we are moved to ask the question, and that's the question that our confession asks, why did he have to die? What is it about death itself and the grave that they needed to be part of his life? We know that he suffered in our place. He suffered for us. But why did he need to die? As our confession says, why did he have to even suffer to death? Why did he have to go that far? And so this afternoon, we will see that Christ needed to die. That he needed to go that far. If we were to have life. We will see that Christ's death changed everything. We will see that when he died, he did something to death. When he entered the grave, he did something to the grave. His death impacted death itself. It changed our lives. And it was part of his work that overcame hell. And it was all for us. And so I proclaim to you the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ under the following theme. In order for us to have life, Christ had to die. He changed everything. In dying, he took our place, he changed our deaths, and he transformed our lives. So in the first place, we'll look at how Christ took our place. That's what he did. He took took our place. He stood in our place. He stood where we were supposed to stand and he died our death. And that's what we confess here. In order for us to live, Christ had to die. And we've all said that. We all know that. But the question is why? Why did he have to go that far? Why did standing in our place involve dying? Now to understand this, we need to come to grips with what our confession calls the justice and truth of God. Now what does that mean? The justice and truth of God. Now what our confession is saying is that God is just and he is true. That that is part of who he is. So in the first place we can see that, that God is perfectly just. In the beginning, God created man to love him and to worship him. It was an incredible privilege that man had. Man was the crown of God's creation. That that is something that we need to get our minds around. What God did when he created man. The infinitely almighty God, 
our triune God, who is beyond our comprehension, created a creature that he could have fellowship with. He created a creature that would overlook, rule over his incredible creation. That's who man was. Man and woman were in the garden. They were stewards of God's great creation. They had that incredible gift of fellowship with God. But they, they abandoned that. They rejected all of that. They went their own way. They sinned against God. They spurned all the gifts they had. Now God's majesty is so great. And his glory is so great. That this cannot stand. God is just. Man did not appreciate the majesty and glory of God. And that majesty is real. That glory is real. Man went against it. He profaned it. And that required punishment. God could not be less than he is. That was sin. It must be punished. God is just. And so sin means punishment. So that's what we mean by God's justice. But there's also the truth of God. What God said to man in the garden is that he would die if he disobeyed. And man disobeyed. And so God was faithful to his word. He was true to what he said. Man brought death into the world by sinning. The Apostle Paul says, Romans 5.12, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men. Because all sinned. So, so we take these two attributes of God. His justice and his truth. And we bring them together. And we see that when man sinned. When man turned away from God. That meant that mankind was doomed. Mankind had taken up a position. That put them in opposition to God. Opposition to the majestic and glorious creator. And he made it clear that that meant death. Full death. And we have to appreciate that. Full death. Physically and spiritually. Body and soul. A death that meant suffering and decay. A death that meant eternal separation from God. That is where we stood immediately after the fall. Separated from God. Now, at this point, God could have chosen to leave us there. He, he could have left us where we chose to go. But he didn't. As we say in our confession, in the Belgian Confession, he pursued us as we fled trembling from him in the garden. He chose to save us because he loved us. He loved his people and he wished for them to come back to him. But there was only one way that he could do that and still maintain who he is, maintain his justice and his truth. In Lord's Day 5 and 6, we, we confess this already. 
The only one who could be our mediator, the only one who could save us, is one who is both true man, the guilty party, and one who is true God, that is, strong enough to bear the burden of God's wrath against sin. You take those two together, and you have the one who can make things right. So in order for us to be saved, it was necessary, necessary that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, had to die. He had to die. He had to die our death in our place. The Son of God, He he came to earth. Jesus Christ stood in our place. He suffered in our place all through His life, all the way even to the cross, even to death. It was part of the agony of hell that He had to endure in our place. He suffered hell for us. Now here we need to spend a little time talking about the descent into hell. We need to appreciate what this means. It does not mean that he died and then went into hell. Scripture is clear on this. Jesus went to be with his Father. He said on the cross, we read it, John 19, it is finished. He finished his task. He finished his suffering. And then he gave up his spirit and he went to be with his Father. He did not go to hell For those three days, he did not go to hell to free the Old Testament saints. He did not go to hell to announce his victory. Those are teachings that the Roman Catholic Church has promoted, but they do not come from Scripture. But you may say, now the creed sure seems to say that. Why is that phrase, he descended into hell, why is it in the creed? And why is it where it is in the creed? Now what theologians have called that phrase, that group of words within our creed, they have called it an appositional phrase. Now what that means is it's a phrase that says the same thing as what preceded it. That means that it means the same thing as he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. To use an illustration, it's something like if your teacher says to you in class, she says, you were all talking, you were all fighting with each other, yelling and throwing things, you were misbehaving. Now she's not saying that in addition to the talking, the yelling, the throwing things and the fighting. You were also misbehaving. No, she's saying that that was the misbehaving. And that's what we have with the phrase, he descended into hell. It describes all his hellish suffering. And when we look at Christ standing in our place, we must see the descent into hell, is something that we confess about what Christ did for us. As John Calvin put it, the suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, 
those words state what man saw. But the words, he descended into hell, those describe what God saw. Christ descended into hell for us. He experienced that agony that we should have suffered from God. Earlier we read Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. And there we see Jesus suffering that hellish agony. He sweated those drops of blood under the intense weight of God's wrath. And when we look at Matthew 27, 46, we see Jesus on the cross crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is hell. That is separation from God. Being forsaken by God. That's what Christ went through. The the Son of God, Jesus Christ, experienced something there on the cross that he had never experienced before. Here, Christ is truly and completely afraid, in terror, in agony. He is experiencing something that he has never experienced before. The God he loved, the Father he loved, was no longer his Father. Notice that it is not my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? No, he cannot say it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alone on the cross, forsaken for us. It was part of what we call the descent into hell. It was part of that suffering that he did for us. Now, part of that suffering in our place meant that he died for us. He died our death. And in so doing, he changed what death means for us. That brings us to our second point. We see that Christ's death changed our deaths. And you see that in our confession. When we look at question answer 42, it really asks, well, since Christ died, why do we still have to die? And that's a good question. People still die. Why is that? Is, is the curse still here? And here what our confession does is it puts our deaths into perspective. It points out that Christ has changed our deaths. He, he went all the way to death. He, he died for us and he changed what our deaths are. Our deaths are no longer a payment for sin. That payment has been made. No, our deaths are now an entrance into eternal life. Death is, is a doorway. It's, it's always been a doorway. After the fall, death came into the world. And it became the doorway to eternal separation from God. Now for those who are not connected to Christ, death is still a doorway to eternal separation. 
If you do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you die, you go through that doorway, and on the other side of that doorway is eternal separation from God. Eternal death. Eternal judgment from God. When an unbeliever dies, it means that God's patience with them, God's patience with that person is now over. And they now receive the full consequences of their sin. But for those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that. Death has been changed. As Paul says, Romans 6, we are baptized into Christ, into his death. The death he died becomes our death. We receive his righteousness. We are are made right with God because of his death. And so death is now changed. It's lost its sting. It's now a doorway that leads us to fully restored fellowship with God. What we had in the garden becomes ours again. And that is the promise that we receive in our baptisms. God promises that to us. We are part of the people of God. And we are the recipients of those rich blessings. And so that call comes out to us, all of us. Respond to those promises. Respond in faith. That that is the way of the Spirit. The way the Spirit works in our lives. We hear the promises of life. Through the word. And by the spirit we respond. In faith. And receive the promised blessings. Take hold. Take hold of those promises. Make them your own. Realize that Christ has died for you. Realize what he's done. How he stood in your place. How he's changed your death. And cling to him. Now, at the same time, we must not act as though death is nothing. That is a temptation that we we have. We act as though it is no longer an enemy. But it is still an enemy. It is a defeated enemy, but it is still an enemy. Anyone who has seen death, who has seen a person slowly succumb to death, knows that it is not a friend. Alvin Plantinga, who's a well-known Reformed philosopher, spoke at a friend's funeral and he put it this way. Death is not all right. Death is a damned outrage. A damned outrage. That's what it is. Death is something that is connected with hell, with damnation. It's not supposed to be here. Death makes us want to weep. It made Christ weep at Lazarus' tomb. It makes us want to cry out in anger and horror. As Plantinga continues, he says, When we look it full in its face, in its ugly face, we see it for what it is. A violent, unnatural, hateful, wrenching apart of body and soul. Death is the final enemy. 
It is fierce, and it is terrible. That is death. It is still an enemy. It is a defeated enemy. We know that. We hold on to that. Christ has defeated it. But we do not minimize it. To minimize death is really to minimize what Christ has defeated. See death for what it is. It is a result of sin. It's not supposed to be here. And Christ has conquered it. He has gone there. He has gone into death and he has defeated it. He's gone there. He's experienced it for you. So that you might not die that death. And that is the hope that we have as we as we stand by the grave. Christ was there in the grave. Where our loved ones have gone, he was there. And he defeated it. He died, he went into the ground, he rose. Death could not hold him. Death will not hold them, our loved ones. Death will not hold us because of what Christ has done to death. When we die, we go to be with God. The separation that still marks this world will be removed. And that happens because of Christ. Happens because of his death. But Christ's death also transformed our lives. And that brings us to our final point. Our confession asks, question answer 43, what further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Now that seems somewhat greedy. It seems like a child on on Christmas asking for more presents. What else do I get? But what our confession does here is is it opens new vistas for us. And it gives us a wider scope to what Christ has done. It looks at what his death has done to our lives. Now, now in dying, Christ conquered sin. The old nature was put to death. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 6. The old nature, the old self, that was crucified with Christ. We've been freed from the bondage of sin. We are now able, through the power of the Spirit, to offer ourselves to God. Our lives were in the grips of death, but now we have been brought to life in Christ. We were the living dead. But Christ has regenerated us, given us new birth. We are baptized into Christ's death. We're connected with him as he he dies. But we're also united with him when he rises. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 6. He has transformed our lives. And that starts now. That's not something that we look forward to happening in the next life. Something that starts after death. No, the new life starts now. That that is promised to us in our baptisms. 
The Holy Spirit promises to work in us. Connect us to Christ. Bring that new life to being. To make it grow. That is the promise we have. And that promise comes with a call. Comes with a call to live a life of thankfulness to God for all that He has done for us. Even as we live through suffering, as we live through pain and sorrow, even as we live tormented by temptations, by fears, by doubts and trials, even as we go through all of that, we can live now, knowing that eternal life starts now. That we have been given so much in Christ and it will be made better. The good work that He started in us will be completed to His glory. Christ suffered hell for us. And in our greatest sorrows and temptations of life, we may know that He bore that for us so that we may not have to. Satan may tempt us, our flesh may fail. The world may crush in on us. But we know that we belong to Christ. We know that we have been given power by the Spirit to live for Him. Strive to live that new life. Embrace that new life. Embrace Christ. Look to Him. And live that life of thankfulness. The promise that God gives us is that when we look to Christ, when we live that new life by His power, He will make us more than conquerors. He will transform our lives and He will bring us to be with Him forever. We will live the eternal life. Amen.